0: Virginia is for families, all sorts of families. My family, your family, your neighbor's family, for families of all species, for beach chair sitting families and paddleboard standing families, for families that like to camp outside and the ones that would rather museum inside. Yep, we got plenty of those to choose from. For mountain hiking families and would rather hang out by the pool resort going families. Come to think of it, that's more my speed. So in conclusion, Virginia has all sorts of things your family could love. So come love it for yourself.
2: Welcome back, everyone. Wow. The summer is going fast, isn't it? Seems just like last year, this time we were getting ready for the uh, summer equinox, and here we are on June the 14th. Beautiful hot day here in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, on the shores of Lake Ontario. And uh, I'd just like to remind everyone, before we continue with our guests this hour, that the X-Chronicles newspaper for June and July 2018 is now available with our compliments at www.xchroniclesnewspaper.com. To date, 7,958 locations around the world have downloaded this edition of the X Chronicles newspaper that has just been available for the last four days. My guest this hour is a gentleman by the name of Timothy Renner, and... um, Timothy has written articles for several publications, including Morbid Curiosity, Weird USA, and Weird Pennsylvania. His illustrations have appeared in uh, fanzines, comics, magazines, books, and on many record covers. He plays and sings folk music with his band Stone Breath. To date, they have released 12 full albums and multiple EPs. Timothy has studied various paranormal phenomena centered in central-south Pennsylvania, with particular focus on the legend of Toad Road and Seven Gates of Hell, his website strangefamiliar.s.com, and Timothy, welcome to the X Zone.
3: Oh, thanks for having
2: me. Wow, how strange is uh, is South uh, Central Pennsylvania?
3: Well, I used to say I, I think it, I would think it didn't matter where I lived; <laughs> um, I'd find the strangest wherever. But as I've done the podcast and kind of focused on uh, the area. I've kind of changed my mind. And I think there is something, uh, there's something special about Pennsylvania in general, uh, as far as uh, weird activity. Tell us about the, uh, the legend of Toad Road. Oh, that's uh, for York county, Pennsylvania, which is where I live. That's probably Mm -hmm. the most famous legend of the county. Uh, There was a sort of a B horror movie made about it, um, about the, The legend, uh, so it goes, there was an insane asylum that burnt down there, and the area is haunted by the ghosts of these uh, victims of an insane asylum. That's not the real story. Um, There was never an insane asylum there. In fact, there's never been an insane asylum anywhere in York County, Pennsylvania. Um, The real story has to do with uh, cryptids, I found, and specifically Bigfoot. Um, There's something called the hide-behind in Pennsylvania uh, legends. And folklore and uh, the legend that i first heard about toad road when i first moved to the area was simply don't look behind you on toad road and uh the things people were reporting from the area weren't ghost-like at all they were very much cryptid like they were red eyes shining from the woods and things pacing them from the woods screams and and uh dark shadows you know peeking from around trees and so forth so it was very much like cryptid activity so as I dug into that uh, mystery, I found that uh, what they were probably talking about when the legend said, don't look behind you, was this creature called the hide behind, which seems to be a folkloric name for Bigfoot in Pennsylvania.
2: Are there a lot of uh, Bigfoot sightings besides the ones on uh, Toad Road in Pennsylvania?
3: Across the state, we have a lot. Uh, I think we're probably third or fourth in the U.S. for Bigfoot sightings. Any idea why? Um it depends if you think of it as a natural creature or something else. Uh, if it's a natural creature, people th- tend to think of Pennsylvania, they think of Pittsburgh and Philadelphia, but uh, there's a lot of trees, there's a lot of open space in the middle there. It's a very, very big state. So if, it's, if you think of it as a natural creature, there's plenty of habitat in the middle of the state, uh, even though there's plenty of sightings on, on the east and west side as well. But uh, if it's not a natural creature, then we get into uh, other theories. Uh, um, all of which are, are simply theories at this point. What is the most uh, popular theory? Well, I think the most popular is that it's it's probably a uh, undiscovered primate. Um, following that, maybe a relic hominid of some sort, mm-hmm. some sort of ancient human ancestor, and then uh, I think quickly gaining though is is uh, what used to be called woo in the Bigfoot community, or still is, and that is the idea that these creatures might be somehow from another dimension or um, related to some kind of paranormal activity.
2: I've heard many reports from many people uh, when it comes to Bigfoot. There's a connection between Bigfoot and UFO sightings. Have you uh, come across any of that in Pennsylvania?
3: Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, Stan Gordon was really the first guy to to document that. and He documented several cases on the western side of the state of uh, Bigfoot in conjunction with ufos either ufos being seen around the same time Mm -hmm. as bigfoot sightings or sometimes at the same time he even has uh one sighting i know of and maybe possibly more of of a ufo landing in a field and and bigfoot creatures being in the same field at the same time so it's it's uh it's been well documented by other authors and then when i started digging into my area in south central pennsylvania i absolutely found the same thing where there are ufo sightings there are bigfoot sightings Uh, usually. I I say half-jokingly, but it's only half-jokingly, show me a Bigfoot sighting in Pennsylvania and I'll find you a UFO sighting around the same place uh, within a few days. And again, it's not not always true. It's not 100% true, but it's true often enough where it should be noted. Are UFO sightings in Pennsylvania up these days? Well... I don't follow the UFO uh, sightings as as close as I do Bigfoot, but I can tell you this year for for my area is the busiest year for Bigfoot I've had yet since I've been seriously looking into this. I've gotten a lot of calls. Really? Yeah.
2: Uh, Is there any specific time of day that you get most of your calls, or is there any similarity between the calls that you get pertaining to Bigfoot? I mean, besides the fact that people are seeing Bigfoot.
3: No, it's usually, there's a a few questions I'll ask. It's usually, what creek were you near? Mm -hmm. And it's it's almost always near a creek or a river. Uh, Beyond that, the the sightings really change. If it's someone uh, who has them on their property, they tend to be a a different kind of sighting and and an ongoing thing. Most of the sightings are either someone sees it in the woods or... uh, by far the, the most common sighting is the uh, the roadside crossing kind of thing, someone's driving and they, they'll see a creature. Based on your
2: experience, uh, Tim, why do you think proof positive has not been established in once and for all settling the dispute that
3: you know Bigfoot is real? I think there's something very, very strange about the creature and mm-hmm. what it is, I can't put my finger on it. I think that's part of the mystery. I think there's a reason why we can't get a good clear photograph of them. I think there's a reason why they don't show up on trail cams. I mean, we've got thousands and thousands of trail cams out in, in the woods all over America. Sure. We haven't got a clear f- picture. I think there's a reason why uh, people often are affected for their entire life after seeing one, and, and often in, uh, unfortunately, very negative ways. Uh, there's something very, very strange about this creature, if it is a natural creature, um, Like I said, you know, if it's something paranormal, then uh, Mm -hmm. maybe that goes to explain more of uh, people's reactions and and the reasons why it doesn't show up on film and so forth.
2: Have you yourself uh, had an experience to to see Bigfoot?
3: Well, I've seen something. (laughs) I I didn't I didn't catch. It was very, very quick. It was Mm -hmm. very large. It was larger than anything that should be in York County, Pennsylvania. And uh, it moved quickly and silently. But I didn't get a look at its head. It, it seemed like its head was down, and it was moving quadrupedal, which it doesn't eliminate Bigfoot. There are a lot of reports of them dropping down to all fours and moving like that. But it was, uh, it was very, very large. Uh, I, we don't have elk here anymore, and uh, we don't have moose here anymore. So beyond that, I don't know what it could have been, uh, but I can't say it was a Bigfoot for sure. Wow. Wow. Uh, you were talking earlier
2: about reports that you get, uh, you know, how many would you get in the space of a month uh, about people seeing Bigfoot?
3: Well, a normal month I might get one, (laughs) you know, it'd be, if if I get five reports a year normally, that would be a good year, but I've gotten probably four or five reports in the past two months. Wow. All in the same area or throughout the state? Yeah, this, this is just York County. I, I guess I, hopefully I'm getting known as the, the York County Bigfoot guy and, uh, And maybe that's why that's happening, or I don't know if it's an especially more active than usual year, but uh, I've gotten quite a few reports this year. All right, stand by, Timothy. You and I have to take our
2: first break. Exo Nation, Timothy Renner is our special guest. www.strangefamiliars.com. That's www.strangefamiliars.com. As I was saying to Nick Redfern earlier tonight, in this uh, June-July edition of the X-Chronicles newspaper, we have two Two farewell pages. Uh, one is to our good friend Brad Steiger, who uh, passed away in the month of May, and as well as legendary talk show host Chuck Harder, who I had the pleasure of working with uh, for many years at uh, Talkstar Radio in White Springs Broadcast in Florida. The website for the newspaper, www.xchroniclesnewspaper.com. And we'll be back on the other side of this break as we continue talking about Bigfoot and much more with our guest this hour, Timothy Rayner, here in the X-Zone from our broadcast center and studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Don't go away.
0: We live in rapidly shifting times of extreme volatility and uncertainty. Such profound change brings a unique opportunity for the evolution of consciousness. I'm Gwilda Wiecka, host of Mission Evolution Radio Show, a program that explores the latest scientific developments and deepening spiritual truths supporting human evolution. Join me on xedbn.net where I interview leading experts in science, physics, medicine, spirituality, and more.
2: Renner is our special guest this hour strangefamiliars.com and uh, Tim we were talking about Bigfoot in your neck of the woods in uh, Pennsylvania. Has there been any any indication of the social life that Bigfoot leads? Uh, For example have researchers in Pennsylvania come across what they believe to be Bigfoot homesteads and if so what can you tell us about Bigfoot?
3: To my knowledge, there's been nothing hard found. Every now and then someone will say, oh, I think I found a nest. Mm -hmm. But uh, it's the same with these kind of tree structures that people find. Unless you see the creatures making them, you can't really say that's a nest or or that for sure they made those tree structures. It's likely they did. And uh, I look at those tree structures as they appear in the areas where people are seeing the creatures and where there's other activity reported, such as screams or right. or eye shine or, or something uh, that might indicate Bigfoot, but uh, until we really see one being built by a creature, we can't 100% say you know this is built by a creature. And the fact that we can't figure out their living situation or or their social situation, and there are, there are some folks who say they have, there are some mm-hmm. folks who swear they live by in troops and uh, there's a there's an alpha male and so forth. Uh, I don't know what, what they actually base that information on or if that's, they're just guessing based on other primates. But uh, to my knowledge, no one's actually seen and recorded this this behavior. So the, it's a big question. It's a big problem. I wrote an article for a series of books called Wood Knocks that uh, David Weatherly released in Volume 3. And I concentrated on eight square miles of the county I live in, in York County. Mm-hmm. And there's such an extreme number of sightings there that start in the 1880s and go on through, you know, the 2000s that I have to wonder, you know, what's going on? The sightings occur all times a year, and uh, there's not enough wooded area to support a, a family group of these creatures. So that really leaves only two options. They either migrate through the area or something very, very strange, as I said, is going on. They're either, you know, teleporting in or going into right. portals or, or what have you. I I don't have the answer but I can say with confidence that I just don't think there's enough land for a family group to to live in that in that 8 square miles so the question becomes why why are people seeing this creature so often in these 8 square miles you know why are they there is it traveling through the area if so for what reason again it's all times of year so it's not a seasonal migration there's just a lot of questions there there's unfortunately there's more questions than answers and I've come to the point where I've had to sort of settle with myself and and just uh settle that I'm not going to probably have the answers in my lifetime. It doesn't mean I will stop looking. Sure. But uh I think this mystery's been around far longer than I have and it will probably be here for far uh for a long time after I'm gone.
2: What role do you think urban development has on the increased sightings of Bigfoot?
3: Uh y- yeah, I think I think there is uh, something to that, um, again, whether we're encroaching on their land mm. or just areas they frequent for whatever reason. I think uh, that's one of the reasons why I, I did the book uh, Bigfoot in Pennsylvania. My follow-up book was West Coast Wildmen, which had to do with California, Oregon, and Washington State. And I thought going into it that the, uh, the West Coast book would be far thicker than the Pennsylvania book, given it was, you know, that's Bigfoot land out there. But the the Pennsylvania book is much, much thicker. And I think it has to do with there being, there were more pe- people here in the uh, in the 1800s and early 1900s than there were out west. And so it's more people to see creatures and more newspapers to report on them. I think it comes down to that. How did you get interested in the paranormal? I think I was born in the golden age of of kind of Bigfoot. Yeah, uh, you know, I was born in 1970. The mm-hmm. Patterson-Gimlin film had just come out. In Search Of was on TV oh, when I was sure. a kid, and uh, The Legend of Boggy Creek and movies like that. that really just fired me up. So that was my original interest in Bigfoot, and I was always interested in folklore. I, I was very, very interested in local ghost stories and uh, legend tripping before I even knew what legend tripping was. I always wanted to go and see the haunted places and and see the anything like that that, that I could get to. As I grew older, I, I kind of fell out of it when I got to high school and college and stuff. And then, uh, as an adult, on the uh, I looked up Bigfoot on the internet one day, and I, I was really surprised at what I found. And then I started writing some some paranormal articles. And uh, one of the things I, I worked on for Weird USA kind of turned into my first book, which is uh, Beyond the Seventh Gate. But I found so many. Bigfoot sightings locally for mm-hmm. that. And I, I thought I might find one or two, but I found so many, I, like there's between 50 and 100 in that book. And that was uh, really, I was just scratching the surface at that time that it, it just really fired me up and got me excited about the topic. And I kind of jumped in with both feet. And that was about five years ago now.
2: Tell me about the seven gates of hell.
3: Well, th- that was to do with the the, the so-called insane asylum. And supposedly uh, the the town of york or uh which is actually where where that is located Mm -hmm. had erected seven gates that were supposed to keep people away from the the ruins of this so-called insane asylum and uh the the gates somehow as you pass through each gate things would get more horrible and spookier and scarier and supposedly no one ever made it back from the seventh gate there are not seven gates on toad road there's one gate at, at the end um There was originally another legend associated with the area. It it has to do with an iron gate outside of a a doctor's house that was near Toad Road. And I think that's how the the sort of seven gates of hell thing stuck to that area. It's it's really just 100% urban legend. So what you do is you create a legend to
2: keep people away from the property and it works.
3: (laughs) Or it backfires and, (laughs) and kids go there all the time.
2: Why do you think there's so much um,
3: interest in the paranormal these days? I would guess it's for me. I think it's a, it's a, we're missing folklore. Right? Folklore mm-hmm. was such a big part of our lives, and it really connected us to the places we lived. Uh, you know, in, in our our ancestors from Europe or from from Africa or mm-hmm. wherever they were, they had these folk tales that, that told them about the earth and told them about taught them lessons about the areas they lived. And we kind of lost that. And I think paran- the paranormal is a way to get back into that folklore. It's a way for people to connect with the areas they live in again.
2: I like the way you put that.
3: We talked uh, briefly about the Patterson film. Uh,
2: what's your take on it? Was that really a Bigfoot?
3: I think it is. And uh, I'm, I'm not a, an expert on primate locomotion, mm-hmm nor am I a film expert, but just as a layperson looking at that and looking at the, the evidence that was presented as far as uh, what suits were available at the time, um, it seems to be far too good of a, of a suit, if it was a suit, that, that uh, the special effects people at the time just couldn't have even made one, much less a Roger Patterson, who really wasn't, you know, he didn't have all the money in the world to, you know, make a special effects costume to take out in the woods and just to uh, have a hoax. Film he could put out, but but Uh, Roger Patterson, motion of the creature as well Mm -hmm. is is very odd. It's it's very not human. Why do you think, with all
2: the technology we have today, that you've got Roger Patterson who went horseback riding with Bob Gimlin into the mountains? They come across this Bigfoot with a sixteen millimeter camera. They take this infamous uh, this infamous film, and here we are, the year twenty eighteen. Everybody has a high definition camera in their cell phone. And the pictures that we're getting today are next to nothing compared to the photos that uh, were being acquired, whether it's in the UFO field, Bigfoot, uh, Loch Ness Monster, years ago.
3: Yeah, and and there may be something to the fact that they're all digital devices. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of times, uh, electronic equipment fails around uh, not just Bigfoot, but UFOs and ghosts and and all things paranormal. they, They Will, uh, batteries will drain and, and uh, things will shut off. Uh, that could possibly be part of it. The fact that it was an analog camera he was using back at the time, maybe that was part of it, and maybe he just got that one-in-a-million shot.
2: If Roger Patterson did not have his reputation as being kind of a uh, showman, do you think that the Bigfoot film would have had more credibility than it does now in the skeptical
3: uh, division? Possibly. I uh, skeptics will be skeptics. I'm uh, I'm married to a pretty hardcore skeptic and uh, we have some some wonderful com- conversations. I'm actually I'm happily married. Uh, I I think it's good to have a skeptic around to keep me yeah. in check. Um but uh, th- that is uh even she doesn't have too many arguments for when when the experts step in and point out uh, things like the the length of the arms on the creature, uh, which they just didn't they didn't think of doing arm extensions mm-hmm. in in gorilla costumes in 1968. It just wasn't a thing. Um, so even she kind of wrestles with that, and she thinks she I think would probably say that's one of the best pieces of evidence uh, I present. But that said, uh, a, a skeptical find a reason. I mean, there's there's no convincing someone that is it's not someone in a suit you know when, when they've decided that and uh i think it might have helped if uh if there were two bob gimlins there instead of uh one roger patterson and one bob gimlin right um because uh you know bob is certainly uh beyond reproach i think uh, as far as his reputation and so forth um but uh you know i think i think skeptics will be skeptics no matter what but that's the problem with film in general i don't think we'll ever a picture's not going to do it anymore a film's not going to do it anymore we're going to need a cadaver. It could be, yeah. yeah.
2: All right, stand by. You and I have to take our news break at the bottom of the hour. Exxon Nation, Timothy Renners, our guest, and his website is strangefamiliars.com. That's www.strangefamiliars.com. And we'll both be back on the other side of the news as we continue investigating the world of the paranormal and the science of parapsychology right here in the Exxon, Monday through Friday from 10 p.m. Eastern until 2 a.m. Eastern. On the Exxon Broadcast Network, Talkstar Radio Network, Mutual Broadcast Network, Simul Radio, and iHeart Radio. Don't go away. Broadcast studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, to the world and beyond. You're watching the X Zone Broadcast Network. www.xzbn.net. Media Power. Power.
1: You have heard of the X Zone? Now watch it on Simul TV, plus 500 video games, live TV channels, free video on demand, worldwide, and more.
2: Tim Renner is our guest exonation www.strangefamiliars.com Don't forget the Ex Chronicles newspaper is available for you online with our compliments. At www.xchroniclesnewspaper.com. All right. Besides Bigfoot, what are you? What really interests Tim when it comes to the paranormal?
3: Uh, like I said, I'm very interested in folklore, so I like reading and connecting these these folklore stories from really all across the world. Um, for instance, uh, I will make connections between. Uh, well, my friend Joshua Cutchins made a lot of connections between the Fey folklore and and modern paranormal stuff, be it UFOs or Bigfoot. Mm-hmm. But I've started to find connections between uh, a lot of uh, Norse folklore and Bigfoot sightings. Just just some weird, odd things. Um, uh, for instance, there's a lot of um, warnings about uh, urinating in the woods and and uh, otherwise uh, defecating in the woods in in the folklore, and they say they you know to to warn. The nature spirits, and to apologize when you do, and there are a heck of a lot of Bigfoot sightings that go wrong uh, immediately after people urinate in the woods, and many people have said, "Well, this is this is because they're you know they're territorial, and they think you're marking their territory." Maybe, but I find it very very interesting that the this old folklore talks about uh, the nature spirits getting very angry and very upset. Uh, when people urinate in the woods. So things like that, I, I get very, very fascinated by uh, connecting old folklore and, and modern accounts. Is it possible that
2: that um, Bigfoot is actually one of our keepers, one of our guardians, uh, guardians of
3: the planet? It's possible. Uh, I, When people say they're like the, the guardians of the forest and so mm-hmm. forth, I, I do kind of question that a little bit just because they tend to do a lot of damage to trees. I mean, they really beat up trees. <laughs> Uh, especially when they're angry or they want to do a, a a strength display, it seems like they'll they'll rip trees out of the ground, they'll they'll snap trees, they'll break trees. So I wonder, you know, if, are they really forest guardians, or you know, if they're tearing up trees? I, it's just, uh, just the just a question I have. But it's 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 quite possible they could be some sort of uh, some sort of you know nature uh, deity or I'm or sure. nature spirit or something. But how do we know Bigfoot are ripping out trees and destroying trees if nobody's seen them do this? Well, people have seen them snap branch, uh, snap branches, and, and break trees in, in displays of anger. Um, they've seen that. They've just not seen them build these these tree structures necessarily, to my knowledge. But I have read reports where people have you know come upon a creature and it's mm-hmm. uh, it's turned around and, and snapped a bunch of you know big branches as if to say you know don't follow me. Look what I can do, and uh, headed off into the woods.
2: What other kind of folk uh, folklore or, or urban legends do you uh, do you follow?
3: Well, I'll track down just about anything that I can get to. I, mm-hmm. I like to go to the places. Um, my first book, I think every place I wrote about, I visited and uh, made sure to put boots on the ground with my uh, podcast a lot of the stuff we do is just on site. We'll go mm. places. I'll, I'll take a, re, you know, portable recorder with me if I'm on a, you know, Bigfoot, uh, encounter investigation and I'll, I'll just kind of leave the tape running or if there's a, you know, there's a haunted place. We did yeah. a, a haunted church, uh, one time, or we just, you know, took a bunch of recorders in and and recorded the, the whole night we stayed there. Do you believe in ghosts? Um, in as much as i believe in in bigfoot i believe that people are seeing something i don't know that it's necessarily the spirits of the dead it it could be but i think there's a possibility that these they could be something else people are are uh, experiencing or something that maybe takes the shape or the form of uh, uh dead uh, dead people for whatever reason
2: when you were doing the uh, the haunted investigation that you were on uh, what tell us about it where were you how did you what did you find? And uh...
3: there, It was an old church in uh, Columbia, Pennsylvania, which is right across the river from, from York County where I am. Mm-hmm. Um, it was no longer used as a church. It was actually the Historical Society in Columbia. And uh, it's, a, it's an awesome place to visit if, if uh, you're interested in history. They have a really interesting long history with the, the Underground Railroad uh, throughout the town excellent uh, town they do an albatwitch festival there every october which is a sort of a paranormal festival there's a a, a little creature called the albatwitch locally that's kind of like a we call it the little bigfoot uh, it's not a young bigfoot it seems to be a, a separate creature entirely but uh, it's a small hair covered thing and they have a albatwitch festival in Colombia every year so that's really neat um so it's just a neat little kind of historical town but this uh this church is where the the historical society is now in Colombia. And uh, I'm friends with the, the director, and he, he let us stay the night. So we set up cameras and we set up recorders and uh, had some ghost equipment on loan. We didn't get a, a whole heck of a lot. Um, we got a, there was one cold spot, and we got some interesting uh, sounds, not even EVPs, they had kind of a weird drone sounds that shouldn't have been there at, around the same time. Uh, when I played the tapes back, it was around the same time in the and certainly in the same room where we found the cold spots. But other than that, we didn't really have a heck of a lot of activity there.
2: What do you think about these TV shows uh, that show all this? They're supposed to be reality TV shows when it comes to paranormal, ghost hunting, things that go bump the night. Do you think that they add to the credibility of the paranormal and what is going on or do they detract from it?
3: Well, if the, if they pretend to be science... Then they're probably doing a disservice. Mm-hmm. Um, if they're if it's about the experience, I, I absolutely have no problem with it. Um, you know, they're just going out to experience the areas and, and document their experience and so forth. Um, in general, I you know I think it's just the only danger is that uh, you know popular trends kind of come and go, yeah. and uh, in their wake they kind of leave a, a a little bit of a, a void. And uh, I think that would be the only the only problem or the only danger with them. Uh, in general, I don't I don't watch them, so I don't know too much you know about them. I've seen them, of course. I've seen sure. you know a few of them, but uh, I I can't name a specific show. I just know you know it was a night vision camera yeah. in a haunted space. You know. Well, they
2: all have night vision cameras. They all go to haunted places, so they're all one and the same when it comes to that. But yeah, well, yeah. you know, my question to many paranormal researchers is, you know. Why? What are you trying to accomplish? Why do you keep going to the same old places that other people keep going to? Aren't there any new
3: haunted places that ever come up? Yeah, I mean, that's a fantastic question. Uh, another question that we've, uh, my wife and I have brought up on, on the podcast, mm-hmm. uh, she will occasionally come on and be the skeptic, as I said, is uh, why are ghosts always Victorian? It, and, uh, yeah. you know, it seems like 90% of ghosts that people see are Victorian. Um, I think probably it has something to do with that's when, uh, photography originates and that's when people started to see people. So there's a, uh, something in their mind that, you know, the, the oldest people they have seen outside of paintings, but you know, the oldest people they've seen like real photographs of are Victorians. So I think that probably has something to do with that. Um, legend tripping is powerful. People like to go to places that have legends associated with them. It's, um, you know, again, I think that goes back to the folklore thing and connecting people to, to the areas they live. But it seems like the
2: paranormal or what's it called, para, paratourism, is making a giant-sized mockery out of the, the you know, the, the real people who are into the paranormal because you've got towns, cities, municipalities who are just cashing in. On the on the paranormal, look what happens at Roswell. The Roswell Festival—it's more of a circus than anything else. And and personally, I think it detracts. That what it does is show us, all right. So you've got something here, and you're going to capitalize on it.
3: Yeah, yeah, and and uh, you know, Gettysburg is now more of a a ghost economy yeah. than it is a a Civil War uh, economy. There, uh, you know, historical economy. There, it's a uh, it's the whole town is just ghost hunting. So you know, in some ways, you know, maybe someone comes for the ghosts and, and learns a bit of history right. too. I, I, you know, I don't know. I don't. Uh, like I said, I, I think it, it's probably something that will fade. It's probably something that's very you know exciting and and sort of trendy right now, and and uh, and it will fade, and and what we will be left will be the the sort of hardcore people. I
2: don't know if it's going to fade or not because I've been doing this show now for twenty eight years, and. It's as po- it's, the popularity is growing. When new people come into the, into the flock and become paranormal investigators, they're younger and they stay longer. And the same old ghost stories, the same old apparitions, the same old spooks, the same old haunts are the mainstay. With all of these investigators out there, For example, Southern California alone, 1,500 different paranormal groups. That's just in Southern California. Wow. Yeah, so with all these people out there, night after night after night after night, nothing being found or nothing being credibly established, I'm still trying to figure out what the draw is.
3: Yeah, yeah, and, and, uh, you know, a lot of folks, in my Mm opinion— aren't asking the right questions. Like I said, I, you know, I think it's just too easily accepted that when they, we talk about ghosts yeah. and hauntings, that these are the, the spirits of dead people. I, 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 that's taken as a given yeah. among people. And, and I don't think that's necessarily the case. Um, you know, I'm not saying it's anything more sinister, like a demon or something mm-hmm. like that. I'm just saying it could be something we don't understand. And there are so many connections across the paranormal, um, in regards to Bigfoot sightings, Uh, Me and and again, my my friend Joshua Cutchin is a fellow author, have noted, uh, and Josh was the first one to bring this up to me, that a lot of these Bigfoot encounters where people don't see a creature, they just get screamed at, smell a bad smell, maybe get a stone thrown at them. If that happened inside your house, that would be a poltergeist. You would call that a poltergeist. But because they're in the woods, they call it a Bigfoot. But it's the exact same thing people are reporting, you know, inside their houses. Well, so me- there are these connections that need to be explored. All right, stand by. You and I have to take our final
2: break. Exon Nation. Our guest this hour is Timothy Renner. His website is strangefamiliar.s.com, and we'll both be back on the other side as we wrap up this hour here in the Exon from our broadcast center in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. You have heard of the
1: Exon? Now watch it on Simo TV. Simultv offers what the others only wish they could provide. Fifteen exclusive channels like Exxon, Sci-Fi and Horror. We are worldwide. No other provider offers that. Five hundred built-in video games. No need to have an extra expensive system. We have them included. Free video on demand. Live streaming events from around the world. Interactive online network and much more. Tomorrow's TV today. Simultv. Sound too good to be true? Well, it's not. You can have Simultv today. Sign up at Simultv.com. Do it today.
2: The new nonfiction book, Razor of Madness, is similar to cult movies like Clockwork Orange, Dragon's Tattoo, or The Other Side of Hell. Wayne Morin Jr. and Thomas Lee Howe will expose widespread and systematic deficiencies in this thought-provoking tell-all novel. Mind control rages among scholars in law schools. Human rights are ignored while thought, reform, and mental manipulation are accepted practices used as behavior modification. Dr. Louis Jolion West comes to mind. Media and public scrutiny shows that United States mental hospitals are in fact destructive murder industries. Razor of Madness expose a novel details this epidemic through an in-depth professional and personal investigation. For decades, there has been a revolving door policy that still releases killers and pedophiles back into society. The maestro of mind control continues to haunt America to this very day. Razor of Madness is available in paperback or as a downloadable ebook at Amazon.com.
0: The concept of a New Age has been around since the late 19th century, yet much of its original meaning has been lost. What exactly is the New Age? Is it a religion, a collection of obscure esoteric practices, a series of doomsday predictions, or an astrological event? The New Age Chronicles is a unique, complementary publication, bringing reason and grounded information to separate fact from fiction. Chucked full of valuable information to support you as we make the monumental shift into the new era. You won't want to miss a single innovative issue. The New Age Chronicles newspaper is coming soon to www.newagechronicles.com.
2: donation. My guest this hour, Timothy Renner. His website is strangefamiliars.com. First of all, Tim, thanks so much for joining us on the show tonight. Great pleasure talking to you. Uh, you're a musician. Tell us about your your
3: musical career. Well, I've, I, uh, I'm i a folk guy, so I like folklore. Uh-huh. I like uh, folk tales. I like folk music. So uh, I I do uh, folk music, It's and it's generally about paranormal topics, um, at least lately. Uh, a lot of the songs I write or I do a, I do a lot of traditional music as well, and uh, there's a lot of traditional songs that have uh, their basis in, in different paranormal things, a lot of ghosts and really? and uh, magic and witches and in in uh, traditional songs. Uh, can you give us a couple of examples? Oh my goodness. Uh, well, let's see. The one I've been doing lately is called "The Cruel Mother," or um, I know it as the the Dreadful Wind and Rain. It's, mm-hmm. it's known as the Cruel Mother on, in the UK, and. Uh, That has to do with a sister, I'm sorry, it's the cruel sister, rather, in the UK. Uh, A sister who tricks her other sister, they're they're both competing for the uh, affections of a knight, and she uh, tricks her to go on a walk and pushes her younger sister in the water where she drowns, and minstrels come along and make a fiddle out of her bones, and then the fiddle actually uh, sings the song and tells the tale of her murder. Uh, So it's a a lot of things like that in traditional songs. Wow,
2: twelve albums. Where do you get the time to do
3: the Bigfoot investigating, the writing, as such a busy uh, <laughs> well, musician? I started the music in nineteen ninety five, so I've been doing that a good deal longer than writing the books. Um, that said, the the books have sort of uh, taken over. They, they're a little bit more successful than uh, than my music, which is fine. I'm happy. I'm happy uh, doing whatever. <laughs> I, I like doing both, so it's not a problem. But, uh, you know, at, one, at some point I'll have a book that will combine, uh, that will talk about the paranormal in folk music, and uh, I can combine the two. But yeah, well, uh, that's down the road a little bit.
2: Sounds like it'll be a bestseller. <laughs> I how, hope so. How do you think Bigfoot investigations should be conducted?
3: Well, that is a difficult question. Because I'm still finding my way with that. Mm-hmm. As I said, I've, I've been doing this five years. That makes me, compared to some of the guys out there, that makes me a baby.
2: All right. So based on your experience, all right, this way
3: here, um, we're, we're giving it a
2: we're giving it a clean, clean slate. So based on your experience, how do you, Tim uh, Renner, believe the best way to do a Bigfoot investigation is?
3: For me personally, I need to get to the area mm-hmm. as soon as possible, Um I would like to get there the next day if, or even that night, if I can, um, the soonest I've gotten there has been, has been the following day with some of these reports, I want to be able to look for evidence there on the scene as soon as possible. Footprints, hair, uh, again, these tree structures, even though, like I said, we can't say for sure Bigfoot make them, but they do tend to pop up. Um, and so forth because, uh, If you get there as soon as possible, the the chances of finding stuff are are a lot better. There are some uh, some uh, Bigfoot organizations in the state of Pennsylvania that are located on the other side of the state. And uh, I tell people, go ahead. If you want to report to them, please do. But but if you're local to me, please report to me as well, because I can get there. They're going to they will send somebody out, but it might be a year or more before somebody gets there. I'll get there, you know, within a day if I can. Wow. Sometimes, it's, you know, if possible, I get there the same day. So that's really, really important. For me personally, I need to experience the area. I want to put boots on the ground. I want to get as close as I can to experience what the witness experienced, um, see the surroundings and so forth, and, and add my experiences to that of the witness. Because unfortunately, um, there's not a heck of a lot of hard science we have. The best we have are evidence-wise, seems to be witness reports.
2: Why do you think that real science is not getting involved in the,
3: in the total investigation of the paranormal? I, I think it's a, it's a third rail kind of thing. I don't think they want to touch it. Um, it's too easily derided amongst their peers. I think it's to be seen as a, as a skeptic is to mm-hmm. be seen as reasoned. Uh, even though you know a, a true skeptic, I think would be open to to what these witnesses are reporting and and, uh, and so forth. But um, but the you know the the sort of hard skeptic uh, is seen as as more reason than someone who's willing to listen to uh, witnesses talk about which is frankly weird stuff.
2: But science and archaeology and paleontology and all the other accredited. Sciences. You now we know they've lied to us in the past. So why don't you think that? That why don't they think that we'd give them a pass and say, "All right, come on, let bygones be bygones, and let's just find out what the heck is going on." Because I'm sure when somebody has a Bigfoot experience, it changes their lives. How do they quote, cope with that change of actually seeing, hearing, smelling what the majority of people in the
3: world believe is a myth? Oh, yeah. And, and, uh, you know, I've talked to several witnesses who have nightmares. Uh, There's one local fellow. He he had his encounter in 1974 and he still has nightmares. Oh, my gosh. um, In regards to this, he's very much I mean, I'm not a psychologist. I can't diagnose him with post-traumatic stress, but it seems like he has post-traumatic stress regarding this this encounter. That doesn't happen with bears. People see a bear in the woods. That doesn't happen. You know, so, so there's something very odd going on here um, again. But uh, as far as why science, you know, w- wouldn't want to jump in on this. Um, you know, my hope is that that someone maybe from the Jungian side of psychology wants to wants to start. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think Jung would have been would have been on it if he was around today. Um, maybe someone like like from that sort of discipline will start and we can uh, we can start looking at things with open minds and, uh, and at least open the door.
2: It, in the Bigfoot Society in Pennsylvania, do they openly share information with other groups? Because I've, I've heard one of the major complaints in the UFO community, ghosts and, and other aspects of, of the paranormal, is that the information is not shared. The information is kept very close. Uh, the findings during investigations are kept very close because people are hoping that they will find the smoking gun.
3: Yeah, I think that's part of it. That that that's uh, it depends on the organization. Mm-hmm. It depends on the individual within that organization. Uh, but it's hard to get people to share information. Some of that is practical. I mean, I there's a lot of uh, when a witness calls me, sometimes they it's like pulling teeth to get them to talk and to get them to to let you on their property. Um, I can understand if they want to keep those particulars out. Um, but the the general reports, I would hope they would share. But but a lot of times. A lot of times they're not, they're just not being shared. That's too bad because I'm sure that,
2: uh, for example, when I was in the police force, we shared all the information not only with the police forces in Quebec or Ontario, but right across Canada and into the United States. And that's the only way you caught the bad guy was by sharing the information that you had on the suspect. So I, I find it very hard to understand why the same courtesy and the same sharing of information. Is not done within the paranormal community if, in fact, they want to have these, these questions answered.
3: Yeah, yeah, there seems to be a desire to control at least the flow of information yeah. um, f- for various reasons. I mean, I, I, was, uh, I was told by more than one person, believe it or not, that I should have asked, uh, and this was a quote, the big names in Bigfoot before I titled my book Bigfoot in Pennsylvania.
2: You're kidding.
3: I'm not kidding. That is is absolutely the truth. One person came very forcefully and another came in the guise of a concerned friend. And uh, I, 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 of course, ignored both of them. <laughs> I'm going to title my book what sure, I want Sure, exactly.
2: <laughs> Unbelievable. Ego. It's one of the worst assets that humanity has. Listen, uh, speaking of books, any new books coming out?
3: I'm working on a few. I'm working on a follow-up to uh, these historical Bigfoot sightings. Mm -hmm. So I've done uh, Pennsylvania. I've done the West Coast. I'm coming back to the East. I'm not sure what area I'm doing next. It probably won't be. It'll be a collection of states probably. It might be the Southern East Coast or or New England or something. Uh, So I'm still working on those. I have a follow-up to my first book that I'm working on, and – I'm working on a couple other things, including a graphic novel. So it's all too early to, to really talk too much about those. But the, the Bigfoot books and the follow-up to my first book are, are on the way. All right. Listen, uh, when
2: they're all finished and you're starting to get them out there, let us know. We'll get you back on to discuss those books, as well as uh, a Bigfoot update from the state of Pennsylvania. Do me a favor. Let our listeners know where they can buy your books and uh, where they can buy your music and how they can find out more about you.
3: Okay. Uh, Amazon.com has the books. It's probably easiest for everybody. People are often concerned. Is mm-hmm. that the best place? Well, they're split as far as with me as an independent author is very fair. Uh, however, if you want to get signed copies, you can contact me through strangefamiliars.com. That's my podcast, but all the contact information goes right to me. So if you want signed copies or if you want uh, my music or anything like that, you can, you can find uh, more information at StrangeFamiliar's or just contact me through that website.
2: Timothy, I want to thank you ever so much for joining us tonight. A great pleasure talking to you. Do me a favor. Don't be a stranger. If anything comes up that you'd like to share with us here on the Exxon, we'd love to hear back from you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Take care of yourself, Tim. Exonation, Nation, Timothy Renner has been our guest this hour. Strangefamiliars.com is his website. And his books are available on Amazon.com. All you need to do is go to Amazon.com or Amazon CA and type in Timothy Renner. And that's T-I-M-O-T-H-Y. R-E-N-N-E-R. I'll be back on the other side of this commercial break with the news at uh, six and a half minutes past the top of the hour as we continue here in the X Zone from our broadcast center and offices in beautiful Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. People say, Rob, where is Hamilton? Well, if you take a map because you don't have Google Earth and you look out the uh, Lake Ontario, you see Toronto, you see on the north part of the Lake Ontario, you see... Niagara Falls, the southern part. Hamilton is smack dab in between in what we call the Golden Horseshoe. My name is Rob McConnell. This is the X-Zone. Our website is www.xzoneradiotv.com. And for all the programming available on the X-Zone broadcast network, www.xzbn.net. And for your copy of the X-Chronicles newspaper with our compliments, www.xchroniclesnewspaper.com.